Eric Herlock. Welcome to Hemp Barons today. What a pleasure it is to have you. Hi, Joy. Thanks for having me. This is an honor. It's nice to, nice to talk to you again. Such an honor and a pleasure. It was wonderful being on your podcast, Lancaster Farming, a really one of the more popular uh, agricultural and farming podcasts in the nation, if not North America. And here you are now uh, taking your uh, love for hemp, newfound love for hemp on the road for a six-week hemp tour. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, you're very generous with your, your kind words in the introduction. Um, yeah, we've been on the road since June 30th, so I think that's about two weeks now. The two weeks on two Wednesday. Two weeks and with the whole family. With my wife and my two children, yep. yep. We're uh, traveling from, we started in Pennsylvania, we went down to the coast of Maryland, and then down into North Carolina through Kentucky, up through the Midwest, and right now we're in Colorado. So it's been uh, it's been quite a journey. You know, we've learned a lot, uh, you know, about ourselves and about America and about the road, and of course about industrial hemp and the people who are doing amazing things right now in the United States. Eric, before we start to talk about your hemp tour, I want to understand. What got you interested in hemp? Now, clearly there is a den of excitement happening in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, and all throughout that tri-state area. But you were both English majors. Uh, you were at Rodale, which I understand has been acquired by Hearst since then, working with their digital content and, and all of those uh, things that go into publishing. And then you went, went into, uh, joined Lancaster Farming a little over six years ago, Tell us about what, what brought you to this place where now you're inspired to literally live with the wife and the two children in that small vehicle uh, on this incredible hemp tour this summer. Right. Yeah. Well, um, where do I start? So <laughs> there's a few different, different threads that I can weave together. Job career-wise, uh, I say career, you know, I, I use that term loosely. I've always sort of considered considered what I do is like, I've had a loosely related series of odd jobs over the course of adulthood, but you know, sort of in my late thirties and now forties, I've sort of landed in you know publishing. I think I started there uh, after graduation, but I I took a detour through different things. I was I trained as an electrician in the family trade with my uncle. I uh, used to do solar installations. Uh, I've painted houses. I was a, a teacher at a middle school for three years. Um, I've done a lot of different things, and but where did the interest in hemp come from? I, I read Jack Harrer's book many years ago, actually in Boulder in 1994, sitting on a porch on Arapahoe Avenue down there, not far from where I am now. That book, you know, sort of landed on the porch, and uh, I don't know whose it was or where it came from, but I sort of devoured it, you know, like, wait, what is this? this I mean, I, of course, I knew about marijuana and cannabis and its connection to hemp, but there was only like stories like, oh, George Washington grew hemp. And that was like this uh, sort of revolutionary idea in the early nineties. Like, what are you talking about? You know, you didn't learn about that. You learned about the cherry tree and all the other sort of uh, nonsense they feed you. So that book planted seeds in, you know, in my, in my mind, in my spirit, heart, whatever. You and me both. Right. Right. And you know, that was just always in there, but and so fast forward, you know, to now, um, working at Lancaster Farming Newspaper, uh, I started there, 
I guess in, in 2015 as the digital editor, you know, so I was responsible for the websites and, you know, social media stuff. And, um, like you said about Rodale, I, I did a similar job at organic gardening magazine, uh, which, you know, it's another historic, uh, publication that is no longer with us, but, um, really just a very influential magazine. It was published uh, first by J.I. Rodale in, I think, 1947, you know, and so that's a long time ago. Um, from organic gardening, I went to Lancaster Farming Newspaper. And in the summer of 2017, I actually went to the Rodale Institute in in Berks County, Pennsylvania. And that's, that's a, like a it's a farming institute. You know, they, it was started also by the Rodales. Um, it's no longer affiliated with the publishing company. Those were sort of split apart, but they've been doing these side-by-side field trials between organic agriculture and conventional agriculture. And I think they've been doing those since the eighties. And it's really just a a wonderful institution, um, just doing a lot of research in agriculture. Tremendous work. And that Annie Brown is, is really just a, a, a star in hemp. We're so grateful for Absolutely. the work that Rodale, yep. the Rodale Institute does. Yes. So they were one of the, um, the first 14 permit holders in the state of Pennsylvania um, for the, you know, the pilot program. And Pennsylvania, the, the first year Pennsylvania offered that program was 2017. So a few years behind Kentucky and Colorado. Um, but so that first year, there were 14 permits granted and the Rodale Institute had one of them. And so I went there to cover a field day they were having. I think I was covering um, some trial about insectary strips along brassicas or something, you know, something like that, something very farmery that I was covering for the paper. But I also went and checked out the, the hemp stand. You know, there was four, four acres of hemp and it was, you know, it was taller than me and it was thick and green and lush. And immediately I just went back you know, in my mind to that book, I'm like, oh, it's happening now, right? Like, you know, I knew that the 2014 Farm Bill sort of cleared the way for, for hemp, but I didn't, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. 2017, I, I saw this, this stand of hemp and I had a flash, you know, to a vision of a world where we make everything or as much as we can out of, out of plants, right? We just we suck the carbon out of the atmosphere and we lock it up in the soil and into the biomass of the plants. And it's a viable alternative to the way we're manufacturing now where everything is based on petroleum. I don't know. It's like, I still have the vision. I can still see it. So it's sort of the, the mission I'm on at this point is to share that vision with other people and to also connect with the people out there who also have that vision. No, it's just so wonderful uh, for the listeners. Eric and I can see each other, so he so he can see me moving my head around here as I just am so moved by, first of all, how it feels, and and I got goosebumps when you said, you know, there I was, and I'm in the hemp, and and I get this memory, and I and 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 it, it and it's it's a memory, but now it's the present day where you realize it's happening. And as you and I both know, uh, that vision or that dream that we and so many of us share in reality is simply a necessity and an inevitability uh, as we um, move forward in trying to ascertain how humans uh, can live on the planet Earth in harmony with the planet itself and with all of the other living creatures and and with each other. Uh, So I think part of why it's happening is not only because 
so many dreamers and visionaries and advocates have been dreaming and visioning and working toward this for so many decades. It's because it's inevitable that we will eventually figure out as humans how to live in harmony with this planet. And I think plants are here to start. Our survival depends on it. If we don't figure this out, we're, we're just done, you know, and it did not take us long to screw this place up. You know, what, 200 years, maybe? I mean, I'm sure like we've been on the road towards that for a long time, but uh, that Industrial Revolution and then the 20th century just like really foisted a lot of nonsense on us. And we have to learn how to, how to do it better. How to do it better. And that's with plants. Yeah, <laughs> it's with plants. And so you got bit by the hemp bug and you're going for it is what happened. Right. And now I, I don't think that hemp is the only solution, right? But agriculture certainly is, has to be part of the solution. And that means farmers. That means, you know, the, the people who know how to grow the plants, you know. And so getting back to, you know, my story towards hemp and how this podcast and this trip came about, I found myself at Lancaster Farming and I, I, the, the farm bill was, it was coming down the road and it was, it was like a sort of a perfect storm. I hate to use that. It's definitely a cliche, but it all came together. So in 2017, I, I saw that stand of hemp. And then later that summer, I saw another another field of hemp up at Penn State University. And so that first summer, I, I saw two fields of hemp. So uh, two of the 14 permit holders. And over the, the next year, it was 2017 into 2018, that next spring, I was covering an event at a place called Four Seasons. It's a like a, a vegetable distributor in in Lancaster County in Ephrata. And it was a PASA event. Um, PASA is the Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Agriculture. So I, I was covering covering an event for them. And the owner of the of Four Seasons Produce, he pulled me aside and said, hey, I'm having a hemp event in June. It's like a luncheon. My friend Jeff is going to like talk about hemp for an hour. Will you come? You know, from Lancaster Farming, will, will you come and, and check this out? And yeah, absolutely, I would. So it, uh, I went and I covered this event in June, and it was Jeff Whaling from the National Hemp Association, and he gave this amazing, like, sort of download, like, what is hemp? What is hemp's potential? What is the market potential? What do we need to do? What do we know? What we don't know? And it, it was amazing. You know, it was it was just incredible to hear that from him. And I was the only journalist there. I think I was the only one invited. There was no other press. So I I wrote a story for the paper about it. And so that was June of, of 18. And around the same time at work, they were talking about farmer radio, they called it. They were like, hey, we want to do some kind of radio show. And I sort of raised my hand in a meeting. and I'm like, how about a podcast? Do you mean a podcast? And like, they sort of looked at me funny, not saying that I work with a bunch of uh, Luddites or, you know, people who aren't in the modern age, but there was some, you know, uh, not everyone knew what a podcast was at that point. So I had to explain some of that. Um, and I have a sort of a background in recording. You know, I'm a musician. I have a little home studio. So I've, I've been using home recording software for, you know, most of my, since I was about 15 or 16 or so. So that was sort of like in my skill set to try to put together some kind of audio. So I, they gave me the green light, like we'll do a podcast, a farming podcast, and I, I started with hemp and I, I assumed I was going to do like six episodes about hemp and then move to dairy or beef or like cover some 
other aspect of, of agriculture. And after about like six or seven episodes, um, I'm like, wait, there's more to talk about here. You know, there's, there's just more. So I just kept going and it, it started as the Lancaster farming podcast and it turned into the Lancaster farming industrial hemp podcast. And it's been great. Like, uh, I've, I've just connected with a lot of amazing people, you know, farmers, entrepreneurs, policymakers, visionaries, artists, uh, ukulele makers, you know, all sorts of different people are connected to hemp. And it's been just an honor to, to get to talk to them and, you know, see things from their perspective. Um, I'm a, like, I'm a storyteller or I like, I like to think that I am, or maybe I really just like to hear stories. So it's a, it's great for me to just get to call people up and have them talk to me and tell me stories. Um, and in doing so, I've learned a lot about hemp. You know, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a hemp farmer. Uh, I don't have a hemp business. You know, I don't have any skin in the game, you know, essentially. I'm just curious from a journalistic point of view, you know, like when do you see an industry get born out of nothing? Um, but then also an industry that has such like paradigm shifting potential and, you know, so much benefit built into it. You, you never see that. Like this is a, maybe a once in a lifetime chance that we have to, to just reinvent how we connect with, with the world. Um, and so it's exciting. So I, that's just fuels my curiosity and the, the sort of, I, I love talking to people. I love hearing stories, like I said, and, and I've been able to capture it in a, you know, a relatively professional sounding way uh, from my little home studio. Oh, you do a fantastic job, Eric. It's wonderful. And you're such a great interviewer and a great storyteller uh, yourself. Um, and, and, you know, and as I hear talking about, you know, the first time and the first time, and yet I sit here and say to myself, but it's reemerging, right? These are everything old is new again. Car parts out of hemp. Nothing new. <laughs> right, Henry right, Ford exactly. was making car parts out of of hemp and weed and and jute and sisal, you know, way back in the 1940s. We just didn't call it, you know, biocomposites at the time. It was more like a pinch hitter for defense, saving the heavy metals and the petroleum-based plastic for the war effort and coming up with these other ideas for car parts and and uh so it's interesting because we are really watching the reemergence of the hemp industries. Now, certainly what has changed since the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which basically, as you well know, taxed and regulated hemp out of existence, is, oh, for example, even things we couldn't see 30 years ago when I got into to hemp is to be able to see things on the nanoscale, right? A, a nanometer is a billionth of a meter. We didn't even have ability to look at things at that level 30 years ago, but now we sure can. And uh, so when we talk about hemp and nanotechnology and hemp and supercapacitors and energy and fuel and, and all of the new innovations and in research for industrial sealants and coatings and, and other things. And yet there are so many things about hemp that we don't need to change it all. Hempcrete, hempcrete has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hemp, a special type of lime and water, and that makes hempcrete. And, and right. there are certainly- Nice and easy. Nice and yeah. easy. Certainly all kinds of great different ways to add or change that recipe, but it's just not hempcrete anymore. It's some other cool hemp building material, right. but hempcrete sort of is what it is. And and uh, yeah, we and as a food too, like as a, a superfood, like the, the protein and all that stuff. Yeah, 
just straight up seeds, been been around for years and years, pressed oil, nothing new, uh, still so, so nutritious. And like you, um, I've, I've actually even thought, you know, wow, given that, and I say this in nearly every show because I can't help it. And it, and certainly the conversations lend itself is without the top six inches of oil of without the top six inches of soil and rainfall, we'd all be dead. So at what point are we going to reconnect with our food supply, with the food chain, with self-care? You know, there's this great little meme of, of like a grandmother in a garden, a, a photo, and it says, you know, grandma survived the great depression because she knew how to do stuff you know and uh, I feel like hemp is is that great connector to connect us we are so disassociated from the source of our food and from agriculture and from farming and from frankly our own survival and our relationship to to plants and the land and I see hemp as as being that catalyst and that connector to rediscover uh, what we need, who we are, and how important agriculture is. And I, I've even started like thinking about, I wonder when we're going to start seeing, you know, hemp t-shirts that says, you know, farming is cool. Agriculture is sexy. I mean, like it is time, you know, it is time for us to, to learn all of those things. And so you've now embarked and as you say, on the on the 30th of June for this six-week tour, talk about connecting. Uh, you're 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 turning your own children, of course, on to this incredible um, <laughs> you know, trajectory. Tell us how old are they and, and what are some of the things, some of the funny things they you've been hearing out of their mouths of babes. Right. Um, so I have two daughters, uh, ages 12 and 10. Um, the 12 year old is just about to be 13. So there's a lot of like tween tweenness happening. Yes. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of boredom. There's a lot of bickering. There's a lot of like fighting about imaginary lines between couch cushion. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it, it's a lot. Um, you know, the wisdom of bringing my whole family on the trip, uh, still trying to figure out if, if there was wisdom there, yep. but you know, it's in theory, it's the trip of a lifetime. Yes. Um, and it, I try to keep my, you know, expectations low, but my hopes are that it's transformative for, for all of us. Yeah. No, my daughter the other day, um, what did she say? This is the worst vacation ever. <laughs> my 10 year old. Right. Yes. And so that I'm like, well, that's where you're wrong because it's not a vacation. This is a work trip, you know, like we're doing work here. And so it's been fun. It was a little tumultuous in the beginning because we had some like setbacks right out of the gate, you know, on our on our way to our very first stop in North Carolina, which was the first stop of the entire tour, we blew a tire on the interstate, you know, one of the back dualies in this RV. And so we did not make it to see Eric Henry at TS Designs in uh, Burlington, North Carolina. Bummer. Yeah, it was a bummer. I did get to connect with him over Zoom um, from the hotel lobby. So that, that night we waited for hours and hours for roadside assistance to show up. And, you know, we turned on the generator. It was air conditioned in here. And we were just in like the, the Home Depot parking lot in, in Durham, Massachusetts for, no, I'm sorry, Durham, North Carolina. Yes. And then they finally showed up, the, the roadside um, assistance that comes with the rental package. You know, we rented this RV from a sort of like the Airbnb of, of RV things. And the, the guy shows up in a minivan with a, like a car jack. You know, like a, he's like, I have this three ton jack. How much does your RV weigh? Oh my God. 14,000 pounds. I think. 
And so uh, he drove away and we uh, sort of drove slowly to a, a nearby hotel and waited it out. Just to cut the longer story short, we eventually did get all new tires on the RV and we were back on the road thanks to some very kind people uh, in North Carolina. Good people in North Carolina. Good people Um, everywhere, of course. Good people everywhere. I'm going to give a shout out to Piedmont Truck Tire. uh, They're in Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So, but we didn't get on the road the second day until five o'clock. So we missed our second stop, which was going to be at uh, Gary Sykes's farm down in Polkton, North Carolina. Ah. Yeah, you probably know Gary, right? Certainly know of him. Yeah, he's a legend. I, it's a bummer that we missed that, but we, uh, you know, we our campsite for that night was still five hours to the west. So we we went to the campsite and spent the Fourth of July weekend in the near the Smoky Mountains, and then in the Smoky Mountains, um, we tried to put a little bit of fun in. We went to Dollywood, no Dollyland. What's it called? I'm sorry, Dollywood. That's right. Um, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton's amusement park in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We went there on the 4th of July, which at this point feels like the most American thing we could have done. I don't know how you feel about Dolly Parton, but I, I love her. Uh, she I think is she's great. wonderful. She's yeah. a, she gets better. She was wonderful 30 years ago. She's even more amazing these days. Right. Just strictly from a songwriting point of view, she's just so gifted. So we went there. She wasn't there. We didn't see Dolly. But we did see fireworks and we got some lemonade and went on some roller coasters, or at least they went on some roller coasters. I, I'm at the point where I don't, I don't do those things real well. <laughs> and then we, we uh, picked up the hemp trail again and we, we uh, made a beeline for Murray, Kentucky. Oh, did you go see Greg Wilson in Hempwood? We did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So Fabulous. cool. Fabulous. Yep. So I haven't yeah. seen the actual, I haven't done a technical tour of the factory yet. I cannot wait to get there. I was on the phone with Greg today. He is, you know, just one of my favorite humans in hemp right now, but for sure producing one of my favorite hemp products just blow my mind on hemp wood. So that had to be great. It was. It was the first time uh, that I had met him or even talked to him on the phone. I had interviewed somebody from Hempwood maybe a year ago, um, don't remember his name, but I don't, I don't think he's there anymore. But getting to meet Greg was was fantastic. Just like his energy level and enthusiasm and his understanding and his ability to convey what's happening there was great. Um, so he gave me a tour. I got to see how it's done. And then we sat down for you know an official podcast interview. And so I set up my mobile rig with my microphones and all that. And uh, we hung up a banner. You know, I have this tour banner. We hung that up in the Hempwood office. And uh, it was great. Um, and he also invited uh, Dr. Tony Brannon from Murray State University. Uh, he's the so-called Dean of Hemp in, in Kentucky. He is the Dean of Hemp. Yeah. Boy, am yeah. I a fan of him. And God only knows, so is Greg. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was neat to see sort of how intrinsically those two organizations are connected. And um, yeah, uh, Dr. Brannon, yeah, really just an amazing man. But he told the story about soybeans like he was a a kid growing up on his family's farm and they grew soybeans as a forage crop you know they didn't harvest the beans for anything they just you know cut it like hay and fed it to their livestock and that was back in the you know late 50s early 60s and just to see the progression of this this crop over the years and uh you know he gets a lot of uh mileage out of just thinking about that and apply that same thing to hemp you know we're in the early days of hemp now and, you know, how, how is it going to play out 
as a, a commodity crop over you know generations. It's it's exciting, and his enthusiasm for the crop and for the farmers and just for agriculture in general is you know contagious. It was it was great to talk to him. So much so, and I think I think one thing we didn't tell the um, listeners is that Dr. Brennan is from Murray State. I'm not sure if we uh, we may have, and it just went quickly. So when we say those two organizations, we're talking about Hempwood and and Murray State. Really, you know, we need academia, we need regulators, lawmakers, for profits, nonprofits to make this a, a reality. And thank goodness for Murray State and Dr. Brennan really pushing this incredible invention of of Greg's along and I didn't know about this I'm so glad you told me about the the soybean issue because it makes me realize how even more near and dear to hemp would uh this it must be for Dr. Brennan because of course the adhesin is a protein based soy glue for hemp wood so we're right. talking about soy and hemp together yeah there you go yeah, and then he took us on a tour of uh, the research farm there at Murray State, and wow, what a big, beautiful agricultural research center that is! Uh, and I saw, you know, they have a bunch of different varieties planted. Some were, you know, taller than me. Um, it's nice to be in like nice, thick fiber stands. You know, in Pennsylvania, there's most of the hemp I've seen in Pennsylvania has been, you know, the CBD style of growing. It's there's something really special that resonates with me to see a great big stand of fiber hemp you know i i can't wait to see you know 11 12 20 foot high stands and i hear they're out there they're out there they're out there yeah it says you and i i know we've spoken about this before eric is this you know, putting the cart before the horse or just working in tandem. It's like, we certainly don't want farmers to grow just a ton of fiber hemp right now. If they don't have infrastructure or a customer for it, we want the, the farmers are the heroes here. Um, and, uh, and yet we've got to give incentive for the entrepreneurs to invest in the infrastructure. So, uh, we can't wait to be seeing, uh, more and more of that hemp. So you you got to see some uh, tall fiber hemp, densely planted yeah. fiber hemp growing uh, in Murray. Let, yeah, but the, so even if the fire, this is just my own opinion here, but I don't think there'd be anything wrong with having an oversupply of fiber. Like if we could just grow it and stockpile it, it's not like uh, it would be as detrimental as growing all this CBD and having no market. But, you know, we could stockpile some bales right of hemp. That. Nope, that um, is absolutely true. It, it, I think it boils. And we've seen, actually, that these bales of hemp that have been, have been around for quite some time, phenomenally preserved in in their own bales. So just like the very outer wrapping of the bale maybe got some you know, mold or mycotoxin, whatever, but everything, the, the fiber on the inside, perfectly golden still. Right. And so yeah. we're, you know, learning a lot about that. And I, I completely agree. So as long as there's a good, nice place to store it, uh, indeed, um, indeed. And also it's for those farmers, right. Who can afford to spend their that right. season and that land yeah. and those yeah. resources to, right. to store it. Um, that reminds me of a, a saying, it's like, how do you, how do you make a small fortune in farming? Start with a large fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, hey, I will attribute it to you, but I'm taking that one, Eric. No, that's don't attribute it to good. me. That's that's just a hand me down. Okay. Um, so yeah, so our, our trip to to Kentucky was was phenomenal. Uh, well, that was just the first first stop was in Murray, mm -hmm. and then okay. it was a little counterintuitive for me because I like to go 
you know, the most efficient way to get places when I drive. But um, Greg was only available on July 5th. So if we wanted to see Greg, we had to be there July 5th. So we went there first and then up to Carrollton to see uh, Chad Rosen at Victory Hemp Foods. That was sort of northeast then. And that was great. That was our, our second stop on Tuesday, July 6th. And yeah, we sat down in the office and talked to him for a while. I got a tour of, of their plant. Yeah. Then we kept on moving. What a fan I am of Chad Rosen. I mean, for years now, just what an incredible guy. And also, was it the Berry Institute? Was it Wendell, Wendell Berry? He's worked with that Institute as as well. Um, I should have asked him about that. I um, attempted to, well, I actually, I did contact Wendell Berry before we left on the trip because I thought if we were in the area, it would be wonderful to stop by and talk to him. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I, I love his books. And um, so I wrote him a letter back in May. You know, dear Mr. Barry, we're going to be doing this thing and we'd love to stop by. And as an added bonus, I told him that um, the band that my wife and I have, uh, that sort of musical venture, uh, was named after one of his books. Um, he has a book called A Timbered Choir. And our, our little folk, indie folk rock band is called Tin Bird Choir. So, oh, a real play on words. Yeah, it's a play and it's subtle and no one really knows that. But um, So he wrote back to me. He did. Ooh. and uh, That was a thrill, I bet. What did he yeah, say? Uh, I can read it to you. I, I took Please. a picture of it. Very short. Give me a sec here. Before we get to that. Who else did, were those your two Kentucky visits for this trip? Those are my two Kentucky visits. Yes. I know there's a lot more people there and I, 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 I connected with some other folks, but we didn't actually get to stop there because we're sort of on a pretty tight schedule to get from, you know, all the places and do what we need to do. So I apologize to anyone listening. who's like, Hey, he was going to stop by. I want to connect with everybody else and do like, uh, interviews after the tour of all the people that I. I missed because I've been hearing from people all over the place from, you know, states that we just can't get to, you know, Texas and Minnesota and all over the place. So um, this trip has been. You hit the oil seed and fiber stars of Kentucky, brother. Awesome choices. Thank you. And that's what this trip is about. It's about fiber and grain because that's that's the part of the industry that is going to, you know, draw, you know, take us home. That's the economic stability. That's the farmer stability. Mm-hmm. That's the environmental stability. That's the, that's the pathway to take us home. Like CBD and all of its wonderfulness was, uh, it was a distra- distraction, honestly. And it, it caught, it caught me off guard. Uh, cause I thought after the farm bill was, was passed, it would just be, we'd all get into fiber and it would be the beginning of this golden age or whatever. But no, it was, we had to learn some lessons. I guess, early on. Yep. And it has been, frankly, a wonderful, despite the fact that CBD takes up all the air in the room many times in these conversations, even what, you know, you can be like, okay, this is a seminar. We're not going to talk about CBD one time. And then it still sucks up the air in the room. Right. It all comes back. (laughs) But uh, yeah, but that platform really has been, I've, I've learned to just be so, so grateful and appreciative and understand there's more choreography going around than my little human mind can understand. And, and it's that platform that's created a bunch of audiences for us to sing the song of hemp to. So it's been wonderful. That's true. Did you find Wendell's communication brother? I did. And I, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but, uh, he says, dear Mr. Oh, I have to tell you that I also sent him um, a CD that from our band, Tinbird Choir. Oh. 
Um, it was yes. from a, a recording that we made in 2009. So it's not like a fresh recording or anything, but uh, I sent it to him. It was our last copy. It was, you know, we had CDs printed many years ago. So I sent him that. So he says, dear Mr. Herlock, I thank you for your letter and for your recording. But because of other obligations, I will not be able to talk with you. If I were able, I certainly would not talk with you about hemp. Sincerely, Wendell Berry. <laughs> Are you serious? Nope. Which is if I were if, if I could talk with you, I wouldn't talk I about would him. Not... <laughs> That's amazing. Annie Brown will talk to you from the Rodale Institute about it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I, of course, I want to write him back and, and ask him why he doesn't want to talk about hemp, but that would inevitably draw him into doing exactly what he didn't want to do. Um, so anyway, um, I'm just very, very grateful for Wendell Berry and uh, the work he's done. So much so. You named your band after it. One of his works. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Now, where did you end up going from Kentucky? So from Kentucky, we our next stop was actually in in Kansas. South Bend? Yeah. Yep. Ah! We had to sort of hustle to get across. You know, we've been you know, we're camping at campsites as we go. You know, so we drive and we camp and we drive and camp. So we, we stayed overnight in Illinois and then we, we got to Kansas and then in Kansas, we had before we got to South Bend, we had some more RV troubles. Um, we sprung a leak in the plumbing system. Fun. Yeah. So um, last Friday morning, I was you know I called every plumber in Lawrence, Kansas. Here's another shout out to local business, um, Castle Plumbing in in Lawrence, Kansas. Their technician Austin was able to take care of it in in 15 minutes. So uh, oh, again, thank there's you, just... Austin from Castle Plumbing. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then. And then we did make it to South Bend Industrial Hemp where they were having an open house. And it was, you know, my, my wife was skeptical as we were, you know, bumping down this dirt road, you know, we're well off the interstate at this point. And she's like, are you sure it's out here? I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's out here. And we, we turn a corner and there was just a sea of cars and there was just a lot of people there, uh, which was great to see. They were doing like shuttle buses out to their, their fiber grow. It was like two miles away. Um, and they had speakers and tables of vendors and food, which was, we really appreciated the food because when we show up as Herlocks, we're hungry, we're ready to eat. You know? um, <laughs> and those are, that's fourth generation farmers. there, the Baldwin brother. Yeah. And then Miss Melissa Nelson Baldwin, who is a right. guest of the show um, as well. And what heroes and heroines they are there in Kansas. Absolutely. Uh, starting out, of course, like uh, like everyone else, thinking they were going to be able to make a go of it in hemp extract. And and they they have made a go of it, but, but quickly recognizing exactly what we've been talking about, which is yep. – Fiber and oil seed, fiber and oil seed, and starting yeah, an yeah. actual, we need that infrastructure. And there is South Bend Industrial Hemp with a decorticating facility. And man, I am just so wanting to watch them grow and succeed and just really grateful for what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, I did interview them briefly before we left. Um, and I published that on our podcast. It was just the three of them. We talked for maybe 15 minutes or so. But one of the questions I asked was, you know, what did your neighbors think of this, you know, when you started and has their opinion changed? And yeah, they said um, that their neighbors thought they were crazy. What were they getting into? But 
now that they see what they're doing and that there's a market for the herd and the fiber that they're able to produce, um, their neighbor, neighboring farmers are now interested because they know they can sell it to the Nelsons and, and get it out there. So oh, that's, that's how it starts, right? You just start to build the tapestry of, of community. So. And one foot in front of the other, working in tandem, working together, yep. you know, this is, this is the unfolding of it. It's, you know, I, we could stomp our feet like 12 year olds or four year olds, I suppose, and be like, you know, I, I don't want it to look like this. Well, this is what it looks like. This is what this it is, looks like. Let's... This is the agricultural and industrial revolution taking place, guys. And this is how it unfolds. So embrace it and, and keep working. Yeah. Yep. Man. And it just brings, you know, just good people together. You know, it's really, it's really nice to see how community develops. So fantastic. Yeah. So was South Bend your only stop in Kansas? Uh, our only hemp stop. We did stop. Uh, my wife um, is, she's in publishing. She works for a magazine and uh, the CEO of her company lives outside of Lawrence. So we did stop there um, and have dinner with him and uh, we camped there. And that's where the, the plumbing incident happened. Uh, but that wasn't hemp related. It was just, you know, passing through. But man, Kansas is a big state. You know, once uh, we left the uh, the Baldwin farm, maybe about 10 o'clock at night, and we were on our way to Colorado. And we hope to just push as far into the night as we can, you know, and maybe get, hopefully get to Colorado and find a campsite, or maybe just, you know, pull over and camp for the night. Um but there was this great big storm on the horizon. So we maybe drove for an hour, hour and a half. I couldn't believe we were still in Kansas. It was such a big state. Uh, but the storm was, there was like 70 mile an hour winds and hail and lots of lightning. Oh. And I think if, if it had been me driving solo, um, I would have tried to go through it. But, you know, just for the safety of my family and... You know, they were pretty freaked out. You know, my oldest is has never been a fan of lightning. So to just see, you know, like Kansas to us is essentially big sky country. Like you don't see the sky like that in, in Pennsylvania. Right. And plus we've been reading um, the Wizard of Oz series. You know, I, I I've read that to my kids. Say. Right. So there's all like there's already like high alert for, for um, tornadoes. And so like to have a weather event come rolling through. We get, we got a hotel, I guess, in in Hayes, Hayes, Kansas, and then got back on the road safely in the morning. And uh, but then we had a pretty long day getting to Colorado. You know, living in an RV, driving it all the time, like you you always have to be checking stuff. You know, so we had to we had some tire pressure issues. So there's always something you have to be concerned about. Um, and plus, no, hemping ain't easy, and hemping in an RV ain't easy either. No, it's not. And I, I, I feel actually very, like it's, I feel guilty that we're driving around in an RV, you know, like I'm trying to promote, you know, a new paradigm of, you know, uh, non-oil dependency and, uh, but this is where we are. This is, this is what I have. So um, it's a selection of choices while you, you do your work to educate everybody on creating a world where we don't have to feel guilty because we have so many options besides petroleum-based fuels. Yeah. That's what you're doing, my brother. Yeah, and then it's, it's freaky because now we're looking ahead and there are a lot of fires burning right now in, mm. in the areas that we want to go to next. Yeah. So um, that's a little freaky. We, we think we have a pretty good route, but I'm sure we're going to be witness to some pretty 
just horrendous, you know, climate crisis activity in uh, in the West because mm. that's what what it is, right? These heat domes and and forest fires. It's it, it's uh, related to to the changing climate, which is our fault. I am pretty sure that that 108 degree historical weather that we experienced in Seattle last week, uh, yeah, we're all feeling it on one level or another. And it, it makes me realize, too, that, of course, when you're 10 and you're 12, like your daughters are, I mean, it's unrealistic to expect uh, them to appreciate, you know, the trip that they're on right now. But boy, as time unfolds, even if you end up seeing some of that horrible stuff, they... Uh, they are sure going to appreciate what they were exposed to um, begrudgingly and against their will, you know, right. as, as, as it may be. Who are you going to visit in Colorado? Are you allowed to say? Oh, I've already visited. Today was my big Colorado day. I met with Morris Beagle up ah, in Fort Collins. One of my closest friends. I mean, to, I'm beyond a fan for Morris. I just love Morris. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. So, uh, you know, we talked about hemp guitars mostly because, you know, we're both music geeks and, right. uh, he has, I, I love this. He's got the world's largest collection of hemp guitars <laughs> and there are about seven of them, right? <laughs> yes. It's wonderful. Yeah. And we talked about the, this upcoming Southern, um, hemp expo in, in Raleigh. Raleigh. When you said Raleigh, North Carolina, I, I almost, because I'm just on autopilot all the time sure. to promote whatever it is that he's doing. And I was like, Oh, Raleigh. Yeah, okay. Raleigh. September two through four, right. Southern yeah. Expo. <laughs> and I think I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to be sort of telling the story of my trip there at some point to somebody. So uh, stay tuned Fantastic. for that. Fantastic. We will get to meet each other in person. And it is just going to be a, a hemp reunion and a hemp network. I mean, this is where everybody just comes. You are going. It'll be a treasure trove, brother, of interviews and guests and networking Excellent. for you. It's Good. really fantastic. And and so the listeners know as well that Morris Beagle and his business partners, Lizzie Knight uh, and Laura as well, you know, they produce NOCO, the Northern Colorado Hemp Expo as well, which is the largest hemp conference and trade show uh in north america really fantastic so so you spent some time today with mo and the hemp guitars at silver mountain hemp guitars awesome and then i I went across town and i met with wendy uh, mosher over at new west genetics Genetics. yeah she's fantastic we had a great conversation this afternoon she uh, is wonder an advocate yep. and so brilliant and just such a so high smart. Yep. quality human being yeah. did you meet her husband dr john mckay from colorado state university i did not but she she talked a lot about him and the work that he's doing and so yeah mm-hmm. they're, they're doing some great stuff in uh, genetics so yeah so that was my day today and then i drove back to boulder to get my family we took the weekend off of rv life um and we got a hotel in Boulder, so we're sort of using this as our, our home base for the weekend until bright and early tomorrow morning. Uh, because my wife is also working from the road, it's, it's important that she has a, a good Wi-Fi connection, and it was kind of sketchy out there in the Midwest. Right, right. Of course it was. No, gotta, gotta work. Um, I once drove across the country with my Verizon jetpack. 
Uh, someone else was driving. I was plugged. I had my laptop plugged into an adapter into my cigarette lighter, and I had the Wi-Fi jetpack, and I basically worked while this incredible, wonderful friend of mine, a lawyer, believe it or not, drove my Prius across the country, and it mostly worked. But it's cool. important stuff. Yeah. Now, where are you headed? Where? What's next? So, tomorrow morning we're going to Monte Vista, Colorado, to visit. Um, Corbett Hefner at Formation Ag. So we're going to go down there tomorrow and see some, uh, you know, see the shop, see um, see the products, see equipment, see corticators. So that's exciting uh, because uh, the folks in Kansas they have one of one of their decorticators. Ah, oh right, of course they do. Yeah. Melissa just told me that. And, and I, I think sometimes the only people working harder than the farmers, and we're all working our butts off and hemp, my God, I work 14 hour days, but it's, you know, all in front of a laptop most of the time. Um, but, but the real heart of the physical ones, I have to say, but besides the farmers are the formation ags and the Bish enterprises of the world. It's the people making the equipment for right. the farmers and right, right. working so hard. So you got to see some of that operation and some of their innovations. Well, I will tomorrow. That's tomorrow morning. Oh, you will tomorrow. Sorry. Gosh, of course. Yeah, we you leave. Uh, it'll be actually tomorrow afternoon because we have to drive four hours to get there. Um, but what I like about the stops on this trip is that they're sort of connected, you know, so the stop in Kansas is connected to the stop in Monte Vista, uh, the, the stop with Morris and Fort Collins with the, the hemp guitars are made from hemp wood connected to um, Greg Wilson in Kentucky. Um, and then also that's connected with one of our last stops. I'll get to that later, but there's a stop in Pennsylvania that connects with, with uh, hemp wood too. Oh, I am giddy over all of this. I mean, it's a, you know, I'll get a little spiritual on everybody. You're just, you're just sowing this elixir, this plasma of agricultural and hemp revolution through this. This trip is practically ceremony. I freaking love it. It feels like a ceremony. Yeah. It is like a ceremony. I know, I know the girls, the young girls probably aren't feeling that way about it, but that's okay. They'll figure it out later when they're older and have their own children. What was, <laughs> There's a couple of really neat things th that I'm glad my kids witnessed so far on this trip. Um, the first was our very first night in Assateague, in Maryland. We stopped at, we camped at Assateague Island, and we didn't get there until 10 o'clock at night. And it was the first time my kids saw the Milky Way, which, oh, yeah, because wow. where we live, you know, it's it's an hour west of Philadelphia, so there's no stars in the eastern sky, you know, it's just golden haze. Yes. So it was great for them to see that. And then another thing in Kansas, you know, just last Friday, um, talking to, there were some people there from Missouri, um, Chris and uh, Cass, they're growers and uh, hemp business people in, in, um, in Missouri and they're listeners to the show. So they, when they heard I was going to be at this thing, they changed their plans and drove six hours to, to meet us there. And my kids got to see the impact that the work I'm having, you know, the, impact the work I'm doing is having on people out in the world. And oh, that was really nice. Um, wonderful. Yeah. That is fantastic. And, and what about some of the, I mean, the, I'm, I'm sitting here saying, what are the highlights of the trip? Every stop mm. you make is a highlight of the trip. Kind of. Yeah. Um, some of the other highlights. So we're going to, we're going to take a little family vacation cruise uh, down to Mesa Verde up to Moab and then, try to hightail it up to Northern California because we, we pick up the hemp trail in Oregon 
Um, so we have to dodge a lot of um, smoke plumes and potential dangerous situations as we make our way, you know, through um, through the desert and then through Northern California. But I am I am just like working on a whole lot of faith that everything's going to be okay. Um, and so that's all I got. You know, it's going to be okay. My wife it doesn't always share my my sort of um, you know simple simpleton optimism routine whatever this is, uh, but yeah I think it's going to be fine. Um, but we have a place to stay in a town of Fieldbrook, which is right where the redwoods meet the ocean, and that's exactly where we need to be. Like that being just called there, um, and then we pick up the hemp trail and we make our way out to Montana. Where I now realize I will meet you in person. There I get too. to meet your whole family. Yeah. So it, I don't have to wait until Southern Hemp Expo in September because I too will be with you for that incredible gathering at IND Hemp in Fort Benton, Montana. So I will I will get to meet some either very tired and groggy or cranky girls or girls that are finally adjusting to life on the road with their uh, yeah, parents we'll one see. or the other yeah i i hope that the <laughs> latter so yeah then we're going to be in montana for a few days and then like from montana it's it's the ride home um but we do we do want to try to see yellowstone and it might just be a drive-by look kids bison you know and then to south dakota where we are going to stop in and see uh, a recording studio made from hempcrete in rapid city that Cameron McIntosh is involved in. He's from uh, Amerishan Cast Hemp and the U.S. Hemp Builder Association. Amerishanva. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, we're going to go to Desmet, South Dakota, because again, I, I read to my kids all the time, and they're big fans of the Laura Ingalls Wilder series. So we're going to see the homestead, and then we're going to drop down to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, where the folks at the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, are having sort of a, I wouldn't say a hemp event maybe like a, a open house field day sort of thing. Um, and they're heavily involved in the, the grain pressing for oil. Um, so that's exciting. And then from there, we we get home. Our very last stop is in Pennsylvania at the uh, Project PA Hemp Home. Yes. It's a, another um, hempcrete house in Western Pennsylvania. And we're going to be so tired by the time we get home after that, but it's it's going to be good. It's going to be great. And I'm seeing so much great press and, and just outreach on the P. There's going to be so much learning and exposure that goes on over this PA hemp home. It's really fantastic. I, what a great, what a great way to, to end at home with a blowout like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be good, you know, transformational, um, hopefully for the hemp industry, definitely for my kids, you know, one way or the other. Uh, and, and for Lancaster Farming, this has been great to sort of bring our our brand and get Lancaster Farming out there because, I mean, they've been supportive of me and therefore they're supportive of the hemp industry. Of hemp. And, Absolutely. You know, we've been involved in Pennsylvania in a lot of key things like the first Pennsylvania Hemp Summit, the second Hemp Summit, you know, um, and we're tied in with, uh, you know, we're, we have a good relationship with the Department of Agriculture and it's just, it's, there's a camaraderie in Pennsylvania that it's, it's great. I mean, I, I'm starting to see it now in other places. So I think it's just indicative of, of the plant, but it's really, it's heartwarming to know that I, I have been embraced by this community and come from this community in Pennsylvania and I get to go home to them. You know, it's, it's going to be nice. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that just on behalf of hemp, 
We're awfully glad to have you, Eric. You and Lancaster Farming and your whole family do outstanding work. Uh, your passion is so needed. Your intellect, the way you educate, uh, and your your dedication to it. it. It's so welcome and wanted. And thank you for being and thank you for doing. And before we wrap up today, and I can't wait to have you back on, is there a question I didn't ask you or maybe a message that you want to make sure you, you send? Well, I, I would like to thank the sponsors that have helped us um, get this tour together. Couldn't have done it with, without IND Hemp, New Holland Agriculture, the National Hemp Association, uh, Rose Downs, uh, uh, Marishon Cast Hemp, Pterodon Hemp in Lancaster County, King's Agri-Seeds, also in Lancaster County. And um, since we've been on the tour, we've picked up two new sponsors, uh, Victory Hemp Foods and Hemp Harvest Works Fish Enterprises. So thank you all. If you're listening, um, it's, it's great to have the support from the industry. Yeah, it's, the whole trip has been sort of humbling to me. It feels like a dream. I can't believe I'm, I'm even doing this, right? Yet here we are. And yet here we are. And my, my lesson is this. Dream very, very big, guys, because they come true, and then you got to dream bigger. So, yay, you are living, living that dream. Living the dream. Mm -hmm. But something else, like that's good advice for the industry too. It's like if we can't imagine the world we want, then we can't have it. You know, so we we can't be afraid to imagine big, right? And we have to imagine big because for hemp to work, it's it's got to be big. You know, we have to do this at scale. And uh, these are the early days, and it's a slow burn, and. Um, yeah, we're on the road. Gosh. Yeah. What an amazing hemp tour, man. Again, Eric, thank you for everything that you do. Can't wait to have you back on, brother. And I'm so excited to meet you and the family. Right back at you, Joy. It's awesome. Yeah. Have a fantastic drive tomorrow, mister. Thank you. Uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.